The Firebender's Guide to Living Life After Destiny. Written by Chuffy Stilton. Read by Meisinger. Chapter 17 Zuko was asleep. Something was pulling him upwards from unconsciousness, the coming daybreak, but he kept his eyes shut, resisting as long as he could. He felt good, relaxed down to his bones. A breeze moved against his face. A deep sense of calm permeated the air. He was slipping in and out of a half-dream that he was back on Appa's back again, flying through the sky. But the sun was calling him awake, and his bladder too was making increasingly urgent calls for his attention. Feeling extreme regret, Zuko rolled over, cracked open an eyelid, and rejoined the world only to realize he had no idea where in the world he was. He reached up to rub his eyes, and the texture of the coarse sheets sparked the day's first coherent thought. The infirmary. He was in the infirmary. There was someone sitting next to the bed, their face hidden in the pre-dawn gloom. The only source of light came from the lamp on the bedside table which casted a feeble glow over a wooden top spinning on the ground, kept afloat by a small whirlwind turning the pinwheels at its bottom. At the top of the thin shaft, there was a hook attached to an enormous tangle of fur. As the top spun, the bits of fur lengthened and twisted against itself, becoming a rough yarn. Zuko's brain wasn't working yet, so he spent another long moment just listening to the dawn chorus of warblers and sparrows coming from the window, watching a pair of blue tattooed hands feed in more fur, adjust the whirlwind so the spindle wouldn't wobble. A breeze made the lamp light flicker, and it flared over the curve of a bird-boned shoulder jutting out of an orange and yellow robe. The blue curve of a bald head bent down in concentration. It was very serene. Outside, the sky took on its first tinges of color. Wispy orange and yellow clouds floated against a dark blue sky. Then Zuko's bladder made another insistent demand for his attention. So he got up. Or at least, he tried to get up. His limbs refused to cooperate. Aang looked up from his spinning. Zuko! You're awake! Zuko gave an incoherent groan in response. His mouth wasn't cooperating either. Water? Aang asked. He wiggled a hand and a swirling coil of water rose from a nearby jug and tipped itself into a bowl. He braced one hand behind Zuko's head, helping Zuko take a few long sips. Do you want me to get a healer? Aang asked, but Zuko shook his head. What are you doing in here? He tried to ask, but what came out was just... Chamber pot. Anyone else might have snickered, but 
Aang was Aang, and Zuko's greatest friend for a reason. Gotcha, he said, and slid the hand on Zuko's head down to his back, easing Zuko up to a sitting position before fetching the bedpan out from under the bed. Then he politely turned away, pretending to look out the window while Zuko relieved himself. Afterwards, he even helped Zuko cover the bedpan and put it away without comment, poured Zuko some more water to drink, and got him a basin to wash his hands and face. When Zuko felt marginally more lucid again, he managed to get out two full sentences. Aang, what are you doing in Caldera? And why am I in the infirmary? Aang sat back. Apparently, you came out of some secret catacombs and fainted in the middle of a courtyard. So you've been in the infirmary ever since. And I only got here yesterday. It was meant to be a surprise visit to hand-deliver wedding invitations, but when Appa landed and Sokka filled me in on what's going on... Wow! Aang flung his hands up and his eyes went round. Oh, Sokka's gonna be so mad when he finds out you wake up the first night he takes a break. And just like that, everything that had happened, Kizia, Luan's death, the dragon bone catacombs, Sokka, slammed back into Zuko's brain. How long was I out? He asked, frantic. Where's Sokka? Is he all right? Only three days, Aang said. And Sokka's in his room getting some rest. Memories were coming back in a flood. What about Mina? Did Sokka get her out of prison? Do they think I killed Luan? And what about Q? Zuko's brain finally processed what Aang just said. Have I really been asleep for three days? Aang gave him a pat on the hand. Mina was the one who put you in the healing sleep. She said it was only supposed to last one day, but when you didn't wake up, she said we should all leave you alone and let you catch up on some sleep. And Sokka explained it all to me, and we both talked with the Earth Delegates. They know that Kizia was the one who killed Luan, not you. And the Lord Q person. Last I heard, he's trying to organize some sort of task force to find his daughter. Zuko swallowed. So you didn't find Kizia then? Sorry, Aang said. Sokka wanted to put a blockade around Caldera and screen every boat and airship heading out, but... Ugh. But it's a big city, Zuko finished. She had a day's head start by the time you got into action, and there's a million ways she could have left by now. It wasn't worth it. Aang nodded. Yeah, and also... Things are kinda chaotic right now. Chaotic? You scared a lot of people by disappearing and then passing out for three days, Aang said cheerily. I've only been here for one night and I've had to reassure so many people that you're still alive and I'm not here to do some mystical avatar stuff to bring you back from the dead. He shot Zuko a mischievous grin. Do you think they'd believe me if I say you've been reincarnated into a badger frog? From now on, it's Frog Lord Zuko. Long may he ribbity ribbit. Zuko groaned. 
Is it too late to knock me out again? Aang gave him another pat on the head. Look on the bright side. You got loads of flowers and gifts while you were out. Sokka and I put them all in another room, though we started to run out of space. Zuko groaned again. Three whole days. Rumors about a war of succession were probably swirling around half the country by now. Most of the get-well messages were probably from panicked people hoping to avoid a civil collapse should Zuko actually meet his untimely demise. He really should be sending for a healer, or at least sending word that he was awake. He should be making a public appearance as soon as possible to quash any alarm. But Zuko made no move to get up from the bed. The pettiness of letting the whole court sweat a little longer cheered him up tremendously. Aang shoved the grayish, misshapen lump on his spindle under Zuko's nose. I need your opinion on my spinning, he said. What do you think? You have the best taste of anyone I know. It looks good, Zuko said, a bit too quickly. Aang's eyebrows shot up. Really? Because I think it looks more like... Like a clump of wet noodles, yes. Zuko said, relieved he didn't have to lie. A shrug, and then Aang began picking at the mass of yarn, unwinding it from the spindle into a ball. It's only my first time, he said with a smile. Lots of room for improvement. I think if I get really good in the next few months, I'll have enough wool to make Katara a shawl. I just need to get it done between Appa's shedding season and the wedding. Zuko wanted to ask more about the political situation that must be unfolding over the last three days, but getting a straight answer out of Aang was more difficult than it seemed. Better to just let whatever current topic of conversation they were on ride out to its natural end. Why the rush? he said instead. Is it a wedding present? Not really, Aang said bashfully. I'm doing it all backwards. I should have made the clothes at the beginning of courtship, not when we are already engaged. But I wasn't going to kill some poor seal just because its skin was pretty. Katara said it was fine and she doesn't want anything, but see, now I can give her something made the air nomad way. As long as I get it done before the wedding date, it'll be a nice compromise. Zuko examined the yarn again. Now that he was looking closer, he could see how the creamy grayish color was familiar. He sniffed it and felt his lips quirk upwards. Appa's ripe smell was familiar, too. Then he looked closer, at the wooden spindle underneath the yarn. The wood was painted with spiraling designs, and though the paint on the handle was a faded orange... It must have been vibrant once, when it was first made, a hundred years ago or more. A chill went through Zuko. Is that from... Aang looked down, too. Yes, he said simply. Before he had ordered them into the catacombs, Zuko had seen a dozen of those little wooden objects in the palace library locked in glass cases, 
with plaques underneath bearing inscriptions like Unidentified Air Nation Army Weapon, Origin Western Air Temple, Year Zero of the Great War. He never paid them much attention. If pressed, he might have guessed it was some sort of small club or torture instrument, maybe something to create or shoot deadly blasts of air at Air Nation enemies. Aang grabbed another bunch of bison fur and hooked a new clump to the top of the shaft. He made the whirlwind appear again, and a new skein of lumpy yarn began to take shape on the unidentified Air Nation army weapon. I didn't go down there, he said, not looking up. I couldn't. But when I fixed the entrance in the temple, I asked the sages if they could bring up some of the smaller objects, just so I could get a look. Zuko felt his throat close up. Oh, Aang. The spindle kept moving. I used to watch the spinners do this on long journeys, Aang said dreamily. It takes a lot more skill to keep the spindle moving and balanced when you're on a bison, but they made it look so easy. There was a nun in the Eastern Air Temple who could keep five of these things going at once, one with each hand and foot, and then a tiny one she blew on with her mouth. Her name was Sonam, and kids used to beg her to show us her different tricks. We never got tired of watching her. A breeze ruffled the edges of Aang's saffron robe. The spindle wobbled, but Aang adjusted his hand, and the whirlwind corrected before it could topple. I should have told you before, Zuko whispered. It's all right. Zuko rubbed his knuckles over his eyes. It's not all right. Aang didn't look up. The spindle kept moving. I thought I was protecting you, Zuko said. But really, I was protecting myself. I was afraid you'd hate me again. What I've done. What my family had done. I... The war itself was bad, but to keep these things afterwards, it was... We were... We are... Zuko struggled, inarticulate for a moment, and then for once he found the right words to say what he wanted to say. It was barbaric. We are barbaric. Aang stopped moving his hands and caught the spindle as it fell. Zuko, you weren't there when my people were killed. If I could go back in time, you can't. I know, Zuko said wildly. But if I could, look, I know it's insane to think about the past this way. No, Aang said. He put down the spindle and launched himself up in a puff of air, drifting down to sit cross-legged next to Zuko on the bed. That's not what I'm saying, Zuko. I think about it all the time, too. What if I could go back in time? If I didn't run away that night? How might the world be different if I fixed my mistake a hundred years earlier? But that's a normal thing to think, 
It's normal to want to fix what went wrong in the past. It's part of keeping sane and moral. Aang fell silent and propped one hand under his chin. He chewed on his other thumbnail, looked out the window. Zuko watched him in silence. They've never talked about the genocide of the Air Nomads this frankly before. Wanting to resist time just means you're human, Aang said after a few minutes. We can't win against time, but there are things in the world that can transcend it. Like love. The nomads are gone. But their love for me hasn't left the world. It's still inside of me, and it's being reborn as new love as long as I'm alive. Zuko tried to imagine it. But aren't you... How do you do it? He asked, how do you deal with this much loss? What even can I do? Aang asked back. I let myself feel it. Something in Zuko's chest gave a squeeze. His heart felt bruised like an overripe fruit, heavy with love and sorrow. Come here, he said roughly. And before he could second-guess himself, he pulled Aang close and hugged him. Aang hugged back. I've had a lot of years to think about this, he said. You don't have to comfort me. But I want to, Zuko said, his voice muffled from where his face was buried in Aang's shoulder. You must be grieving terribly. I express my regards. He felt Aang nod, and knew that Aang understood what he was trying to convey. Aang rubbed him on the back, and they both held on tight. It wasn't like they haven't hugged before, but this time, Zuko didn't let go straight away. He tried to put a lot of things in the hug. The sort of things he still had no words for. His own smallness before such an enormous grief his shared mourning for a people he had never met, could never meet. When they both finally let go, Aang cleared his throat. Passing out for three days must really be good for you, huh? He said lightly. When did you get so emotionally open? Zuko wiped his eyes on the infirmary blanket, tried to compose himself again. When did you get so wise and grown up? I'm always wise, Aang protested, and then immediately contradicted himself by perking up and asking, Do you really think I seem grown up? Because I was thinking of growing a beard to look a bit older. Absolutely not, Zuko informed him. Take my personal advice. Suki would eviscerate you. Her caricature drawings are devastating. Aang held up a fistful of Appa's fur under his face. Just a little bit, though, to cover my chin. What do you think? Doesn't it just scream, I'm a wise old avatar? You are a wise avatar already, Zuko said. And you'll have plenty of time to grow old. Don't get ahead of yourself. Aang stuck his tongue out, and Zuko sighed. The avatar could grow a beard if he wanted to. At least, Zuko tried to warn him. 
They lapsed into a comfortable silence. Aang went back to his spinning. His hands were moving faster now, with more practice, and the new yarn was already looking much finer than his previous attempts. Zuko had noticed this before, when he was still teaching Aang firebending. How quickly Aang learned and adapted to new things. He used to wonder if it was an avatar thing, this ability to move through the world with such spontaneity and ease. But now, he wondered if it was simply a part of who Aang was, a type of grace unique to Aang and Aang alone. For so long, Aang's advice to forgive and let go had annoyed Zuko. Now he marveled at it. People carried grief in such strange ways. Some turned it outwards. They wanted the world to pay for their loss. Some people turned it inwards, and their grief destroyed them in silence. Some, like Zuko, did both. But to let it go. Not to forget, but to let it pass through yourself like a light through water. Izuko was beginning to understand what Aang's sunny bubble of self-composure meant. What it took to have it. A shadow waved in front of the latticed door. There was a knock, and a male voice called out softly. Aang, I'm here now if you want to take a break. Zuko's breath seized. He was very aware, all of a sudden, that he was wearing a horrible infirmary gown, that his hair hadn't been washed or combed in three days, that his right eye was still reddened and puffy from emotion. Wait, he began saying, but Aang was already bounding across the room to slide the door open. Sokka! Aang chirped. Guess what just happened? Sokka didn't guess what just happened. He said nothing at all. He was staring at Zuko, and Zuko stared back, wordless. Sokka? Zuko? Aang looked back and forth between them a few times. Everything okay? Good morning, Sokka said. His mouth curled into an uncharacteristically soft smile. Zuko blinked. He wondered if he was still dreaming. Why are you in a Kyoshi warrior dress? He asked. Oh, Sokka said, and his face went back to its normal droll expression. He waved a hand at his metal headdress and armored green robe. You mean this? It's a long story. Short story, actually, Aang piped up. Zuko, it turns out you forgot to sign the paperwork to rescind the order that made the Kyoshi warriors your bodyguards. When the guards wouldn't let Sokka in your room, he put on the outfit and said that he was technically still an honorary Kyoshi warrior, so he might as well come in and save you from any other assassination attempts. Everyone was kind of surprised, but no one could say that he was wrong. And believe me, Sokka added, they tried. He had every bit of the costume on except for the face paint, and Zuko could see the crinkle of amusement in the corners of his eyes. The tiredness, too. Oh, Zuko said. Sokka grinned. Lo turned out to be a surprising help, actually. She took my side and said that what's legal is legal. 
a Kyoshi warrior gets to stay. Lo? You know, the old woman with this hairdo? Sokka held up his metal fan behind his head. She has a twin who follows her around everywhere. You can tell Lee and Lo apart? Sokka tapped his cheek. It's all about the subtle difference in mole placement. I didn't know the Kyoshi warrior culture was so popular here, Aang said pensively. One of the nurses kept asking Sokka where he got the dress and if he could order one too for private use. Cultural exchange is amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, Zuko said weakly. Behind him, Sokka was slapping a palm against his forehead, and Zuko fought down the desire to laugh. Sokka came the rest of the way into the room and sat down by Zuko's bed, wove their hands together tightly. Anyways, he said, how are you feeling? I told Aang to keep the window open to keep the infirmary smell out. Good, Zuko told him. What about you? How's the burn injury? Sokka brought their intertwined hands over the spot on his chest. Fine. I told you, Mina is incredible. And, bonus, half the healers here are terrified of her. When I brought her here, she started waving this gold headpiece around and started ordering us all around. And just so you know, she also left an itemized medical bill, but I think you need to get stronger before opening it. My eyeballs almost popped out. Worth it. We should really stop meeting in infirmaries like this. You can suggest a place next time. Sokka smiled again, and Zuko smiled back. And they stayed like that, smiling at each other until Aang gave a light cough. I think I hear Appa bellowing, he said in the silent room. Better go see if he wants some more hay. With a few quick movements, he gathered up the spindle and stuffed the rest of the fur into his basket, picked up his glider that was leaning in a corner. He was halfway out the door before Zuko reacted in time to call after him. Wait, Aang, we're not finished talking yet. We'll have a lot of time to talk, Aang said, turning around. I think I'll be staying in Caldera for the next while, sorting out what's in that room. Funeral rites, and so on, you know? The easy mood in the room vanished. Sokka inhaled sharply through his nose. Zuko was clenching his hand hard enough to draw blood. Aang, Sokka said in a low voice. I can't imagine how it feels, seeing what's in there. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. No, Aang said. I do. He looked at the basket in his hand, sighed, and took out the spindle again. Sokka made a quizzical noise. Do you know something? Aang said. Even now, when I saw this, my first reaction was, I should ask Sonam how to use this the next time I see her. Zuko opened his mouth, but Aang held up a hand. Let me finish, he said gently. The thing is, I haven't thought about Sonam in ages. If this spindle had just been left in the temples, 
than a hundred years of wind and rain would have destroyed the wood by now. But it didn't. It was preserved, just like me. And now that I've found it, it helps me to remember. The spinners and weavers of the Eastern Air Temple are dead, but they're not gone. When I see this, I can still feel their presence in the world, and I know that nothing is permanent. Not even death. At that moment, Aang looked very old. Very young and very old at once. Like both the young man that he was and the old man he should have been, was made to become now, shouldering an unimaginable burden. Sokka shook his hand free. All right, he squawked. Ding, 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 it's hug the Avatar hour. Get back over here, Aang. Aang backed away a few steps. I'm okay, guys, really. Just take the hug, Zuko told him. Sifu Hotman says so. Aang smiled, and in a burst of motion, he dropped the basket and the glider and flew over to throw his arms around Sokka, who was still sitting on the bed. After a moment, Zuko shuffled over and wrapped his arms around them both. It was a lot of hugs for one day, and the morning had barely started. It's like I told you, murmured Aang. Some things can transcend time. Sokka made another questioning noise, but Zuko nodded in understanding. He thought once that the past could be surmounted, like water underneath a bridge. Then he found out the past could come back, and it was more like a slow flood, an invisible leak. But really, the past was an ocean. It surrounded them and bound them. It was human to fight it, but in the end they were all subject to its churning forces. Some things the past swept away. A mother's face, for instance. Or stories known only to the dead. Some things got washed back up in strange and unpredictable ways. A mask. A spindle. A boy asleep in an iceberg. When memories reached through time like a whale swimming through water, it didn't have to be a force of destruction. There was a way to let the past nourish and sustain you. Ways to reckon with both the good and the bad. Ways to keep what you can and return the rest to the wide open sea. We're here for you, Aang, Zuko said. If you ever want to tell us more about the Air Nomads, about anything at all, we'll listen. We'll do anything to help. Sokka voiced his agreement, and Aang sniffed. Thanks, guys, he whispered, and then, with his voice still husky with emotion. Hey, I have a question. Anything, Sokka said. Do you want a sock or a tea cozy? What? Sokka and Zuko said at the same time. They shot each other a glance. The sheer bafflement on Sokka's face underneath his metal Kyoshi warrior's headdress was a sight to behold. Appa has a lot of fur. I bet I can give out hand-knitted socks and tea cozies as wedding favors, Aang explained. 
I'm making a list now, and you two can get first dibs. Which one do you want more? Socks or a tea cozy? Tea cozy, Zuko said, at the same time that Sokka said, Socks. They pulled a face at each other, and Aang burst out laughing. I noticed you visited Katara during the whale hunt this year, Zuko said, after a few moments. I knew you'd show up eventually. Concentrate on Katara's shawl for now. She'll love it. Really? Aang asked, looking uncertain. Yeah, if only because it's you who gave it to her. Yeah, Sokka added. Katara is soppy like that. Welcome to the family, kid. Not that you're not already a part of it, but still. I mean, I can't believe I'll be the Avatar's official brother-in-law. Zuko gave him a shove to shut up. Thanks, guys, Aang said. At the sound of Katara's name, his gray eyes had gone all soft and bright, and an even sillier expression than normal appeared on his face. Zuko, bracing himself for the old stab of jealousy at someone else's happiness, only felt all soft and bright along with him. He looked at Sokka, and knew that they were both thinking the same thing. Some people just deserve to be luminously happy. Aang was one of them. After Aang left the room, to actually go check on Appa this time, Zuko forced himself to get out of bed and stretch his legs. Sokka helped him up, and helped him to the window, where they stood watching the morning sweep over Caldera. By this time, the rest of the palace was waking up, too. The infirmary overlooked one of the central gates, and looking down from its high windows reminded Zuko of a childhood pastime of lying by the garden ponds, fascinated by what insects and pond life could be stirred up from the silt. And the more he looked, the more he saw. Laundry maids swaying on their wooden clogs, kitchen boys with rolled towels tied around their heads, hauling in wicker baskets of herbs and lychee nuts and silvery masses of fish. Bustling by were guards and farriers, cooks and messengers. In the corner, a scruffy goat dog tied to a post chased and tried to eat its own tail. You're pretty quiet, all of a sudden, Sokka said. Copper piece for your thoughts? Zuko was thinking. It didn't matter how many centuries passed. Their crimes were buried inside the nation like a tumor inside the body, leaking disease into the bloodstream. It tainted everything, even the fireflies, the fig trees, the fishing boats in the harbor, all the people in the country, from the vendors and their wooden carts to the old women shelling peas on the front stoop. Zuko himself. They were all the descendants of the people who did it. And no matter what anyone said, they were what their ancestors made them. Why did Kizia believe the things she did? Zuko asked. Sokka pressed his lips together. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to understand these things. Something jogged loose in Zuko's memory. 
He reached for his pocket, but then realized he had no idea where his clothes were. I found something in Kezia's belongings when we were still in the chamber, he said anyways. A pie-show tile. You don't mean she's... No, no, Zuko said in a hurry. Not the white lotus. The red lotus one. Sokka's mouth fell open. Huh. Yes. She did tell us she was working for a group of people, Sokka said, tapping his chin in thought. Seems like we've only unraveled the edge of a conspiracy. Maybe. Either way, interesting times ahead of us. Zuko added it to his mental list of Fire Lord tasks. It was a long one. Aang said he wanted to restore the artifacts back to the air temples. Give the human remains a proper funeral. But he didn't say what Zuko should do with the dragon bones, the painted murals, the horrible pamphlets boxed up in crates. Zuko wondered if he should just drag them all out and leave them in the courtyard. Make people see what their country has done. Make them remember. But that didn't seem like the right thing to do either. There would always be someone like Kezia, looking for a deeper meaning, who saw old bones and dusty statues and took it as a challenge people who spun themselves the comfortable lies they wanted to hear. When Zuko thought of evil as a person, at least he could imagine defeating it. But what could he do when evil was everywhere? How could anyone fight against something that has no shape or form? It was like trying to catch a shadow in his hands. Below them, a flying lemur swooped down over an open basket of lychee nuts. But the goat dogs bleated at the last second, and the lemur swerved right in surprise. Momo crashed to the ground, somersaulted a few times in the dirt, then tumbled to a flapping stop. Nearby, one of the watching maids started laughing so hard she nearly dropped the bucket of water she was carrying. Sokka snorted too. Did you see that? He began, and stopped at the expression on Zuko's face. What's wrong? Are we all guilty? Zuko asked, and Sokka's smile disappeared. What do you mean? I know how Aang would answer this question, but I want you to tell me yours. Do you think we're all guilty? Sokka exhaled slowly through his nose, stared back out the window. The maid was still there. After checking that the cook's back was turned, she stooped down and sneaked out a handful of lychee nuts from the basket, which she gave to Momo along with a brisk rub between his large ears. Momo, pleased, leaped on the maid's head and wrapped his tail around her neck. One of his claws got tangled in the string tying her sleeves up, but it only made her laugh again, her shoulders shaking with mirth. I don't think you're all guilty, Sokka said finally. But I don't think you're all innocent, either. I 
think that's not a fair question to ask. Zuko twisted his fingers together. He was thinking of something else that Sokka had said to him once, that Zuko was self-absorbed with guilt. What they needed wasn't more guilt. It was shame. Guilt was something directed inwards, something that could be buried away and hidden. But shame let people see themselves reflected in others' eyes, a picture of themselves they couldn't bear to let stand. Zuko thought his purpose was to restore honor to the Fire Nation, but he had been going about it the wrong way. The Fire Nation couldn't have honor until they had the humility to see how they were wrong. Zuko wasn't his family. He didn't have to carry their guilt, but he had to deal with their shame. Do you think there's any hope for us? he asked instead. Below them, Momo stuffed the lychee nuts into his mouth. He flapped his wings a few times and took off with a leap. The maid waved goodbye and, still giggling, picked up her basket of soapy water and hurried off through a doorway. The only evidence of the encounter was the wet ring the bucket left on the ground, a few discarded lychee nut shells scattered to the wind. Yes, Sokka said softly. I do have hope, for you especially. But I don't think I'll ever not be fucked up, Zuko said. Sokka took a half-step towards him and knocked their shoulders together. Join the club, buddy. Zuko leaned over and rested his head against Sokka's neck. A tower embattlement kept the infirmary window in shade, but everywhere else in Caldera the sunlight was coming through. It brought green over the gardens and ginkgo trees, red over the tiled roofs and the clothes of the people, golden yellow where the rays touched the low clouds, chasing the remains of the night away. Maybe there was peace for Zuko to find here, too. Peace to be made. I'm going to change this country, he said. He thought about the phrase that Kizia used, a spiritual renewal. That's what we need. Sokka snorted again. You sure know how to pick a fight, don't you? I admire your dedication to live and die by your own unrealistic and unachievable goals. Zuko shrugged. It felt good to say. It felt like a good purpose. He wasn't fueled by his anger anymore, but it didn't mean the feeling went away. He was still angry at himself for not being better. He was angry at his whole country for not being better. But anger could be a part of life, not its opposite, and Zuko just had to find the right fight to channel it into. He was used to picking impossible fights. I prefer to live, he told Sokka, and he was surprised at how much that was true. I have a lot of work to do before I die. Sokka gave his hand a squeeze. Don't die. I won't. He had come very far from the boy who dreamed about killing dragons, or the teenager trying to capture the Avatar to win back his honor. He could go further still. 
Zuko thought before that he didn't want to live. But maybe what he meant was he didn't want to live the way that he once did. He turned his head to press a kiss to Sokka's stubbled cheek, and felt Sokka smile. Work is fine, Sokka said, and wrapped an arm around Zuko's waist, one hand coming to rest lightly on a hip. But you're forgetting all the other things in life to live for. What about them? Will you help me remember? Zuko asked. Only if you help me, too, Sokka said, and nuzzled a spot behind Zuko's ear. The sun crossed the point where it came through the window, and the new day came in like a breeze. The morning was as gold and sweet as a freshly peeled apple, and it illuminated the whitewashed walls behind them, turned their shadows into vivid hues of blue and violet, transforming Sokka's dark lashes into flecks of light. Zuko nodded, and, standing together by the window, the two of them leaned even closer towards each other, sealing their promise with a kiss. Okay, so that's chapter 17, and technically the end of the story. The next chapter is the epilogue. It might be a couple weeks for that one, just because it is a bit longer, which is exciting for all of you listeners, um, but will take me a little bit more time to get ready. Thank you to Chuffy Stilton again for letting me record this. Thank you to my girlfriend for always finding some way to be quiet while I'm doing so. If you want to leave a comment or kudos on the fic, you can do that on AO3, and I'll also leave the link for Chuffy Stilton's story so you can leave a comment there. You can also leave me a voice note, which is just super fun for everyone involved. I highly recommend it. You can find me on Tumblr as my own singer, and I just want to say thank you again for listening. Um, It means the world to me. So stay safe and have a good night. Bye.